Last week we finished our, our sort of series going through the book of Ephesians and today we're going to uh, get into the Christmas spirit by having our Christmas reading. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 which is found on page uh, 1026 and we're going to be looking at today the birth of John the Baptist in keeping with our third Advent candle. So um, the birth of John the Baptist beginning chap- uh, Luke 1 Chapter, uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 57. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us through these words. Speak to us, Lord, of your love for us. Keep our hearts open to you. Amen. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby... She gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the whole country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is God's word. Amen. So, two weeks today. Two weeks today. I thought it'd be mean uh, to keep you uh, waiting any longer. And so here it is. Drum roll, please. The first Christmas joke of 2022. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Um, I can't say it's going to be humdinger, but here, here we go. There was a man in Russia. His name was Rudolf the Red. 
And he was standing uh, outside of uh, his house, uh, standing in his house, sorry, uh, one day with his wife. And he looked out the window and he noticed something. And, he, and so he turned to his wife and he says, look, darling, it's raining. However, his wife, well, she thought she knew better, as many wives uh, uh, do. And they said, no, I don't think so, dear. It's snowing. It's snowing. Uh, to resolve the matter, um, after some discussion, the couple decided to take a step outside. And lo and behold, would you believe it, they discovered that it was, in fact, raining after all. At which point, Rudolph turned to his wife and said, Ah, you see, I knew it was raining. Rudolph the Red knows reindeer. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I told you it was a bad joke. Never mind. Well, if in this joke it was the wife who mistakenly thought she knew best, in our passage this morning it was the husband, Zechariah, who mistakenly thought he knew best. And because uh, we're sort of coming to our Christmas sermon series a little bit late, we've had to sort of miss out the first half of chapter uh, one in Luke's gospel. And uh, in it, we hear how the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah and tells him that his wife Elizabeth will bear a son. And to which Zechariah replies, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. Can I just say, that is not a phrase you want to use of your wife, that she is well on in years. Um, but other than the fact that he's a, he's a little bit rude, what he's doing here is that he's basically questioning whether God is true to his promises. He's basically saying, I don't know if I can trust you, God. I don't know if I can trust you in this situation. And then we skip forward from the first half into our opening verse today. And, and it's because almost, it, that, that's why you know, he had to ask for that writing tablet. He had to ask for the writing tablet because he didn't trust God in his promises. God says, okay, I'm going to close your mouth. I'm going to close your mouth. And then skipping forward to verse 57, our opening verse, we discover Zechariah was indeed wrong to question God and that God does keep his promises. And this is a theme that's revisited throughout this morning's passage. And so our opening 10 verses reveal to us that our God is a personal God. He's a personal God. These verses, along uh, with the previous verses uh, in chapter one, reveal to us uh, the personal hopes and fears of real people. You know, when we, when we read stories about Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary, we can think of them, you know, as, as nativity dressed up characters. But actually, when we read the gospel accounts, they come across as real human beings hesitating between faith and doubt, called call to trust God in the midst of their messy lives. You know, th- these were real people. Zechariah went, oh, of course. Actually, he says, I, I don't know if I can trust you, God. I mean, some of, some of us feeling like that at present, not knowing whether we're sort of caught between uh, uh, faith and doubt and we're called to trust God in this moment. You see, it is the nature of God that these individual, your individual human stories matter to him. He is a personal God. And God comes through his Holy Spirit to meet these people where they are. 
You know, at Christmas, we remember that God, he says, you know, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when his Holy Spirit comes, that he, God, is with us, in no matter what you may be facing. In the midst of fear and doubt and pain and confusion, in verse 35, we read how the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. And in verse 41, we read that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit as she greets Mary. And in verse 67 of our passage, Zechariah is filled with the Spirit and praises God with a prophecy. Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, ordinary people known by an extraordinary God, a God who draws close to him, draws close to them with his spirit, a God who loves them and who fills them with his spirit. Now, many of us may be facing difficult circumstances, a loss of a, of a loved one, uh, an illness of someone dear to us, uh, workplace stresses. As I look out, I understand your own or I know some of your individual stories. And, uh, and, and it's right that, that the church should be, should be God's sort of um, hands and feet responding to the need. And that's why we do do things such as love Christmas, because we want to, to, to show God's tangible love in real ways that communicate that, that, that we care for, for you, we care for them, but also that they are not alone, that God sees them in their situation. And many of us, as I've said, are carrying burdens here today. And in our passage, we find Elizabeth, a real person, having her own painful backstory. What's Elizabeth's story? Well, for many years, she had struggled uh, to have children. She cried out to God because she, she wasn't able to have children and, and that is a, a deep sadness in itself and actually in this culture and context it was, it, was, it, 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 it was really bad. But here we see a personal God, a personal God who shows mercy to Elizabeth, a God whose mercy expresses itself in loving concrete action in the lives of ordinary everyday people. And so whatever situation you may be facing, may you be encouraged by the nature of God that we find in this passage, that he sees you and he cares for you. A personal God who longs to show mercy and who sends his Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us, and to encourage us everyday people. Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. You see, sometimes God does really answer our deepest heartfelt prayers. And in other, other times we have to acknowledge that isn't always the case, but God is always at work. He is always for you. He loves you. He is a personal God. But if the first 10 verses explain how he's a personal God, our remaining verses speak to how this personal God has a cosmic plan. Because what happens in these situations that we don't see God at work? Well, God is a personal God and he has a cosmic plan. Now, speaking of plans, I was reminded of an article uh, that I read on Richard Wilson. Not a, a well-known household name, but he was a cabinet secretary underneath uh, Tony Blair. And uh, in it, he, he remembers uh, the most stressful day of his career. It was the day um, that, the, that the US were attacked on, on 9-11. 
And uh, he was tasked as cabinet secretary to ensure that our UK government had be, ha, was fully prepared for similar attacks that were coming that day. However, he was soon to discover that the civil contingencies unit were actually on a staff, out, staff outing in Yorkshire. Yeah. Uh, so then he decided to contact the uh, the overseas defence secretariat to discover that they were on a bonding exercise in uh, Herefordshire, um, and then the the new newly upgraded government switchboard had crashed and then he asked uh, about the secret escape tunnel to number 10 and the reply was it's locked and the man who has the key has gone away on holiday and he hasn't told anyone where the key is. So I'm hoping that it's a little bit tighter. Uh, Things have been tied up since then Uh, but it's good to know that God's plans are not haphazard. They're not haphazard. In fact, God's plans are cosmic in scope. And sometimes we're like focused on our little thing down here. And actually, God's plans are cosmic in scope. And those small things matter to God, but God's plans are cosmic in scope. You see, the rest of our passage um, uh, is Zechariah's prophecy. And it's a well-known passage in some quarters of the church because it's called the Benedictus. Uh, The Benedictus, um, uh, for instance, uh, if you follow Anglican morning prayer, it's a sort of bit that you read after you've done your daily New Testament reading. So you do your daily New Testament reading and then you read the the Benedictus, which is basically a paraphrase of this, which is a little bit bizarre because uh, uh, on Christmas Eve, because on Christmas Eve, you read this passage and then you read the Benedictus, which is basically reading the passage again for a second time. But, but we'll, we'll move on from that. But, but, but why? Why do we have the, this Benedictus? Why is it seen as so special? Something of all the pieces of scripture that, that we reflect upon day after day. Um, well, well, I think it's because it gives a clear, concise picture of God's, God's cosmic plan of God's cosmic plan. Because in these verses, we find the greatest need of humanity is that it should be in its, is that it should in the fullest sense be saved. Humanity should in the fullest sense be saved. And what do I mean in the fullest sense be saved? I mean that Christians of every age have long proclaimed that it is the will and plan of God to put right every wrong relationship, whether they're personal, whether they're political, or whether they're spiritual. Whether that relationship between, is between me and my fellow man, nation against nation, or, 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 or us as humans and God. Salvation in its fullest sense is a writing of wrong social structures and physical uh, conditions. But at its heart, it's also about the cleansing of our hearts. The context of our passage is, is one of cruel Roman occupation. And so what we have here in verses 71 to 75 is a focus on political uh, salvation, the writing of human relationships, the lifting of oppression. Uh, verse 71, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. And verse 74, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies. You see, to the downtrodden and oppressed, Jesus comes to transform their situation. You know, to the hungry, Jesus smells of homemade bread. You know, to the lonely, Jesus smells of a birthday party. 
You know, Jesus is here to, 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 to bring new life. Salvation isn't just about enduring life in the here and now and looking forward to some pie in the sky when we die, looking forward to heaven. No, Jesus came to transform life in the here and now, that we may have life in all its fullness. And Jesus said this at the start of his ministry. If you turn over two pages uh, with me to, to, to Luke chapter four, Jesus sort of announces his public ministry by standing up in a synagogue, unrolling the scroll um, of Isaiah, and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, that the poor will have their lives transformed. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. You know, Jesus smells of mountain air to those that are in prison. You know, the recovery of sight for the blind to the, and to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Salvation includes transforming our current circumstances. You know, another real need in our community at this time is loneliness and isolation. You know, and it, and it affects all, all, all stratas of society. You know, no one's immune from this, from the youngest to the oldest. And Jesus comes to restore human relationships in the present. And he calls us into community. He calls us away from isolation into community. And that's, that's why we, again, want to be sort of Jesus' hands and feet here. We want a weekly community lunch, a place where people can experience friendship and welcome. And this Wednesday, we've got that, that Christmas lunch, that the, the community lunch is, hoping, uh, is hosting the Christmas lunch. We'll be welcoming over 65 people to come and eat and enjoy a Christmas meal with us here and some friendship. And this evening, for instance, our, our youth are going out uh, across Maidenhead uh, to sing carols to those who we know of who are lonely and isolated at this time because Jesus doesn't want us to be alone. But salvation is more than just communities, more than just writing human relationships. It's about writing our relationship with God. It's about the forgiveness of our sins. It's about being reconciled to God and experiencing the love of God. You see, the enemies that God had come to, del to deliver them from was not just the Romans. They were just wanting the Romans to get off their backs. Um, but as we read the Gospel of Luke, we come to discover that these enemies included supernatural opposition. And that real victory means not only rescuing us from human, but also spiritual opponents. God is doing what he promised long ago through his holy prophets. That's what we remember in the second candle. The holy prophets who prophesied not only political deliverance, but also spiritual deliverance. If the political dimensions of our salvation are seen in, in those verses, verses 71 to 75... Then verses um, uh, 76 to 79 speak of the spiritual dimensions. It speaks of our need for the forgiveness of sins, the tender mercy of God, that light would shine on those who dwell in darkness. Because God more than keeps his promises. The long-awaited Messiah is coming and the salvation he brings is wider and richer than we could ever imagine. 
And as we read our passage, we catch a glimpse of the moment in history in which God would be raising up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. What's it mean that he's raising up a horn of salvation for us uh, in the house of David? Well, when people first heard Zechariah's prophecy, they must have wondered, okay, what kind of savior are you sending? You know, what kind of savior are you raising up? You see, God had already acted in history to raise up four different types of people. He'd raised up prophets to help the people. He raised up judges to help the people. He raised up priests to help the people. And he raised up kings to help the people. But, the, the, but who God is raising up here would be, in fact, a prophet, a judge, a priest, and a king. He would be a descendant of King David. He would be King Jesus, prophet, judge, priest, and king. And his power and his authority would extend not only to the political world, but also to the spiritual dimensions, and the sick would be healed, and those captive by sin would be set free. And this is what it meant by that reference to a horn of salvation. You see, to the people hearing this prophecy, a horn was a symbol of strength. It was used for defeating opponents. It was a term for a victorious king. God was sending his mighty savior, a savior that would transform the present circumstances, a savior who would make a way for us to have a personal relationship with God. And this is what we're celebrating at Christmas. Not simply a baby in a manger, but the mighty savior, that he grew up to be. A mighty saviour who shed his blood upon the cross, who would redeem his people, who would set us free. Who by his death on the cross made a way for our sins to be forgiven. Who righted our relationship with God and enables us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. You know, our God is a God who delivers on his promises. He is, a, he is a God who is a personal God. He cares for you. He sees you. He's at work in your life, but he's also a God with a cosmic plan, a God who knows you and who loves you personally, a God who has worked out his, his cosmic plan to write our relationship with him, a God who transforms our circumstances so that we might experience life in all its fullness, a God who calls us to join in with him to bring hope and healing to a hurting world. He's a personal God and he has a cosmic plan and we get to join in with him. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and has set us free. He has raised up for us a mighty saviour. Let us stand. We're going to pray.